Shalom, shalom. Welcome back to the upper room. Back in the saddle again. Give thanks and praise that we made it to another episode. If you're new around here, uh, the upper room is all about getting into biblical topics, diving deep, uh, not being afraid to, to to share our thoughts and opinions and to uh, and to chop it up essentially. Um, as I said, my two brothers that I'm joined with today um, need no further introduction. Joseph, Tommy, how are we? Shalom. Good to see you, brother. Shalom. Thank you for letting uh, letting us have the privilege to come on again, man. Yeah, true, a true privilege. And uh, it's been too long. It's been too long. It's been a while since the last one. So it's yeah, uh, yeah. It's great I've to have been, you I've back. Been itching to get back on, mate. <laughs> I've been itching to get back on. Well, God's sound is perfect. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful to be Hallelujah. here. Thanks, Darren. Thank you, bro. Sound. So, um, what prompted today's discussion? I think. Um, Kind of curtailed after your last Torah portion, Balak, um, where essentially Joseph was highlighting um, his zealousness for the for the laws of Yah, uh, albeit off the back of a, a lawlessness BC, essentially. Um, and he did a great uh, job of giving us a little snapshot in terms of what it's like to be lost in Egypt, as it were, to be lost to self. Uh, to be lost to the laws of self. And um, I just thought it was a, a great area in which we could meditate on in terms of the redemptive element of remembering how we were delivered, how we were slaves to the old man, how we were slaves to sin. And it's great to recall uh, our deliverance from the old man and the old ways of life. And upon meditating on this, it, I had another um, angle, as it were, and I think it highlights, it can highlight the, the humanity and the process of sanctification for those who have been called, uh, particularly in areas of leadership, you know, where we're often called to pray for our leaders, for our teachers, for our elders. And uh, I think it's important that we get a, a, a good insight into, you know, that these guys are, are disciples too. These guys are being sanctified by Yeshua too and it's great to go through the through the memory lane just to see how far they've come uh the tropes that they've uh, meandered through by the by the good grace of God and and to explore that so we're going to go in warts and all um to highlight how God confounds those by using the most unlikely of resources. And I mean that in the best possible way. Hallelujah. Mm. So just to paint a picture before we get going, um, I'm going to bring a few scriptures just to, just to set the foundation for the topic of discussion. Um, I'm going to start with Psalm 1427. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. The famous, infamous Isaiah 61.1, as uttered by our rabbi, our master rabbi Yeshua. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, finally, Romans 6, 20 to 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things that what you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin 
and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and in the end everlasting life. But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. So before we get into it, I just wanted to highlight that there's a strong correlation between, uh, for want of a better description, the, the biggest transgressors, the, 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 the real renegades of this world, and how Yah takes them, redeems them by a strong right hand, and uses them mightily for the kingdom. So we're here to investigate um, our understanding and adherence to the way in which Yah plays that part and how Torah and, and the living word uh, uh, plays a role in that. So with that being said, um, let's hand it over to Tommy and Joe, either one of you, if you feel free uh, to get the ball rolling. When it came to that, um, that situation, which is synonymous with so many of our patriarchs in the Bible, you're in the clink, in the slammer, banged up. Just give us a bit of context into how, because you by, both of you guys had a similar situation in terms of uh, your your story of redemption. How, how did you find yourself in that situation? Okay, yeah. my man's gone quiet there. Left <laughs> le left the light on for me to answer that one. Well, thank you, bro, for that introduction. And yeah, it's it's um, it's it's an experience. Um, that, that we both went through and that was uh, you know being incarcerated uh, once of a better word you know being in being a nick as we like to say um, it's that's the code name uh, and you know firstly I just want to say straight off the cuff like this is not to venerate anything that's happened in our previous lives you know we were once slaves in the land of Egypt but we want to you know discuss this and open up in case there's anybody friends or family or even anyone who's watching um, maybe this could help them edify them and you know I just want to say right at the beginning that the Lord used the situation incredibly at the time and he used it to 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 change me mold me modify me and he used it as a tool in his toolbox you know there's many tools that the Lord uses in his toolbox he's got sandpaper He's got paintbrushes, but he's also got saws <laughs> and nails, <laughs> and he, he he doesn't mind shaping us in any way. That's that, that he sees. He is the uh, the potter. We are the clay. So yeah, to answer your question, how we how I found myself in prison, um, we're going back um, some years now. Um, I grew up and um, lived in, in in a town called Birkenhead, and uh, I actually come from a beautiful home. You know, my mum. She's a beautiful soul. Some some will know her on the fellowship, and if you're watching online, maybe you've seen a podcast that my mum did. Shout out, Ange! Big up, Ange! Big up, Angie! And she's fantastic parent. You know, True. my my hero, my ro role model in my life. Beautiful woman. Uh, but you know, there was there was um, there was some some issues that I had growing up, and I won't I won't get into them. Um, but basically, I, I found myself just being part of a gang and uh, getting into drugs, um, alcohol, uh, all sorts of violence. We, 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 we were part of, a, of, of, of what we would know as like a firm and um, we, we were just like organised crime, militant organised crime. Um, 
we did all sorts of madness and uh you know this just elev- it just went it just snowballed it just snowballed and I love the buzz. I, I, I love the kick of it all. I love the lifestyle. That was who I was. It, it was an identity that I, you know, I'd really found myself just like enjoying. You know, I know that's obviously I don't enjoy it now. It's 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 um, smoke in my eyes. It's it's vomit. It's um, you know, it's repulsive now. But at the time, you know, the old man just loved that lifestyle, and. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the the violence just escalated all the time and it, it just got serious. You know, I used to carry a knife with me. I, I used to carry a kitchen knife. And, and at first, I used to just carry this and just, like, get it out all the time. And, like, I did it and I, I used to do it and watch people's faces change. And it was like, a, um, like an instrument of fear that I used to... And, you know, I'd be thinking in my head constantly, I would never use this, you know. I'd never use it. I'm just going to just... It was like like an act, you know what I mean? Like it's like a like a prop. <laughs> I used it like a prop, and 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 I was like this 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 star of the show, and I'd walk around with these props, and but really it was like an instrument of fear. And you know, as the master says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by it. And then you know, I used to take it out into clubs with me, and and pull it out and stuff like that. And I I used to uh, go up big groups of lads and and just feel this awesome like dark power coming over me and just getting people like, you know, running away, gangs of lads older than me running away and having them on the back foot, just like a dog, you know, like a dog that can sort of sense them things. And and then, you know, one day I actually found myself in a full-blown knife fight. You know, I was, um, I was out late with a group of lads and I was armed um, with this knife and we got into a bit, into a bit of a fight with, with another gang and, they had knives, we had knives, and yeah, we were, we we just were running around the street, just swinging these knives at one another, and it's just madness thinking back, like literally inches away from death, you know, and just so close that when you can hear the swings, you know, as a kid when you when you when you flick a stick or you you, you got a coat hanging, you, you go really quick and you you hear a chop through the air. <laughs> There's nothing scarier than hearing like a, a slice of a of a. Of a, of a blade cutting through the air and, and knowing that you're millimetres away from it. Anyway, I, I wanted to just paint that picture to, to show where I was at with, with, with my life. But the reason why I found myself in Nick was not because of knife crime, even though I'd been to court previously for a knife uh, a, a knife offence, um, which I was found not guilty of. But at the time, you know... Um, uh, it was something that uh, that I, w- I was I was close to a, lo- a long period of time in jail. So I actually believed that it was grace and mercy that I actually went to prison for fighting. I was in a, involved in a fight. We we were coming home again, and it was late, and we got into a, a scrap outside of a pub. And um, this lad basically he was knocked out, and he hit his head off the floor, and um, he uh, he had a brain hemorrhage. He split his head open and he was out cold and his mates were like, look, he's had enough. And yeah, he had, he had, he had like brain damage and minor and uh, yeah, he'd, he'd hemorrhaged. And I remember getting arrested that, that evening. It was like undercover and detectives come to my house and stuff. And it was the most frightening experience in my life. And it was it was real and everything became real. And, I, and um, they told me. Sorry, sorry uh, to interrupt. With, um, with that prior to... Um 
that situation? Was prison something you were fearful of or considered in terms of the repercussions with the life that you were living or were you just like hell for leather doing what, what, what you had it, to do? It, it, it was always there, but I always thought I could just handle it and it wouldn't be an issue. And, you know, a lot of people my age, well, my age then would treat it as a bad, badge of honour. You know, so if you've done time, you've done bird, you've done in the clank and that, you sort of gain this reputation, a bit of a badge of honour. So, you know, I was easy with it. And I just thought, you know, I wasn't really fearful of, of man then anyway. So we, we got involved in this fight and this guy at his head and, and yeah, and he was, he was badly injured and it wasn't... Um, that wasn't intended, you know. Um, we no one intended to hurt anyone like that. Even when I used to carry weapons and that, never intended really to to ever devastate anyone or take anyone's life. You know, I always had like a conviction within me. I always knew, like in my conscience, that that wasn't right, and I knew that that obviously looking back, that was the spirit of God telling me, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong. And there've been so many times when situations that took place or people have been took out the game and, and I weren't there that night and if I would have been this would have happened and just like there was just there was books on on it like the Lord had it all under control but I went I went to prison for for, for, um, for for violence with this with this fight and um, I believe that was mercy that it was that because you know maybe if it was something else I could still be there and I wouldn't have had the experiences that led me up to the position that I'm in today sound so, um, w- with that being said, Tommy, um, <clears throat> I can I can see I can see the pattern and that kind of history uh, within Joe in terms of uh, you know just how I know him personally anyway. But um, I think there's a correlation there uh, in terms of uh, the way that Joe is today. Um, I can't quite see that same the the violent element being part of your nature both uh, now and prior to this. But I could be wrong. But so if you could just fill me in in terms of yeah, what brought you to to that place as well? Yeah, um, like Joseph, I was brought up well, you know, good parents, good family home, etc. There was no real um, inclination. There's no real in- indication that I was going to go end up in jail um, wonderful parents wonderful upbringing wonderful childhood no hiccups nothing to report um, and then as I uh, I left home um, and I just um, I'm basically living on the street I don't want to say living on the streets I mean I've got a place to live <laughs> but, but I just love being on the streets and uh, <laughs> When I was living, is um, it's quite a rough part of Liverpool actually. At the time, it's just like a great time. Looking, but looking back, I know it was very lawless, you know. But it just seemed normal. Mm. And as a kid, as a teenager growing up, it's it just feels great. And um, the law was seen as something wrong, mm. and the police were seen basically as the devil. You know, we. Th- 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 you hear the term Babylon, well, that was actually applied to the police, not just the, the state of the world or the nation, but to the police, you know. And people used to say, 999, that's 666 upside down. <laughs> the police is the devil and blah, blah, blah. And it, is, it got to the stage where, the, in my eyes and many people's eyes, they were the devil. And they, we didn't give a hoot what they thought or what they said or what they tried to do. Um. I also grew up at a time when there was riots across the country and the, the, the biggest ones were where I lived. And um, most of the country were just 
looting and burning shops down, etc. But where I lived, it was basically hand-to-hand um, fighting with the police. And if I'm not mistaken, there was like a, a an attack on the police station in that area, if I'm, if I'm oh, well, wrong. Yeah, that, not just one. For want of a better yeah, description. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that was an ongoing thing anyway. That was, yeah, but the... So basically, I was... I'd left home and I'm growing up in an area where um, lawless, lawlessness was just the norm, you know. Mm. And as a teen, it's it feels great, doesn't it? You know, it's just yeah, it's anti-authority, it's anti-establishmentarianism, etc. And that's like a quite a a, a draw. It's a, a buzz dream. as well. It's, it's a, a buzz. buzz. It's an attraction to a teen or someone in the young twenties, etc. And then. Um, because of that, I just sort of went along the the, the, the mainstream of like yeah, drugs. You know, drugs were readily available, and I mean they were readily available. You could actually like just pick, take your choice off a menu. I mean, they were readily available. You didn't have to, you didn't have to knock on someone's house or make a phone call. It was just there on the streets. Um, so that became the norm, and then. At the same time, and I'm talking about Liverpool now, and I'm growing up in the early 80s, and unemployment was rife, and most people made the living on the streets, you know, through uh, underhand methods, and they all said um, that the the cannabis, the the ganja, whatever you want to call it, was the poor man's friend, and then, um, and at the time it really was because. You could partake in it. You get certain amounts of it. Even if you didn't have the money, you could someone would just pass it to you and you'd, you'd sell it off and you passed on their bit and then you made a bit of money yourself. So you're outside of the system, etc. No one even knew who you were. Um, so it was just a normal way of living. And then, as with most things in life, these seem to escalate to something else and then something else and something else. Um, in contrast, in contrast to Joseph, um, I wasn't like so much engaged with the violence. But having said that, the game that I was in, it inevitably came into your face. Mm, right. Yeah. Comes with the territory. It comes with the territory. So it, it came to the point where, I mean, guns were readily available. Obviously, um, people were getting shot and killed. Um, I know people with guns. I could, could have picked one up myself, etc. But I was. Um, I ended up with a knuckle duster. Um, I'm sure people online will know what one is, or they can find out what one is if they just get on the internet. So I used to just carry a knuckle duster. And, and like um, Joseph said, it wasn't really to... I didn't intend to use it. It was more like self-defence or for a, t- a deterrent, you know. And um, the, t- the crazy thing is, um, every time I carried it, I ended up using it. It, it was quite bizarre, actually. Every t- if I just went about my normal business and left at home, it never, no situation arose where I'd have to resort to it. But if I took it out with me, as sure as day, a situation would arise and I'm using it. Mm. And it's, oh gosh. Like Joseph said, looking back, it's, it's a horrible. Um, some memories make me cringe, you know, that I've lived through, and I think, oh, please, Lord, no, and please for, forgive me. And I ask for forgiveness daily, and quite often daily, uh, no memories don't leave you sometimes. And you you hear something in the world today, or you see something, and you think, oh, gosh, and it just reminds you of your past. 
And then, yeah, so inevitably violence did come into it because there's money involved, there's drugs involved, there's gangs, etc. I was made, I had a, not so much a gang, but a group of people around me, but I was practically on my own. I, I, I didn't resort to a gang. I just did my own little thing, kept myself to myself, etc. That's because I'm quite a private person in general. It yeah. wasn't like I thought, well, I'm not going to do it this way, I'm not going to do that. It's just me personally. And then, um, and then it went to class A drugs. And then, um, then they ended up taking more than I was selling. And then I'm thinking, oh gosh, where am I going with this? That I was losing weight and keeping the wrong company. And it was basically s- sex and drugs. That was the life I was living. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not ashamed of the fact because. Um, it's part of who I am, mm-hmm. and it's part of my path to where I am now. If I'm going to be honest, that was part of my path. Mm. So it was... Um, and then I, I hate to pat because there was a certain time in my life where, because I was taking so much, I wasn't making the money, I suppose, why I was in it in the first place, to make money. The classic uh, yeah. dealer checkmate of Basically, being yeah, in yeah. your own profits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I never wanted to, like a big mansion or a big cars and everything and playing Johnny Big Boots. It wasn't really me. It was just making enough money to get me children things that they needed. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was doing Christmas, etc., Easter, etc. I wanted to provide for them, make sure they were okay. I had four kids growing up. I mean, they were you know all young, and I wanted to provide for them. It wasn't really about me having big holidays, big car, big house. It wasn't that at all. It was just to make money aside from the system that I that I detested. Because um, to me, the, the police, um, the job centre, the dole, the government, they were all the same. To me, they were Babylon. Mm-hmm. You know, we were outside of the law. We just lived on the streets, doing our own thing. We were a separate world, basically. So I got to the point where I'm, I'm taking more than what I'm selling. And then um, I need money. And um, then the kids, mother and myself, we split and then sometimes I'd have the children and I can't provide for them and myself. There was times where I, I wouldn't eat for three or four days because I'm trying to provide for them. And I thought, this is getting out of hand. And then one of my friends said to him, you know what, I've been, I've been travelling abroad and bringing things in and making a lot of money there. And I remember speaking to him, I'm always in his house and... Uh, he had this over there, he had the latest uh, musical system, he had the latest this, that, and the other. At the time, it was like videos, mm. video recorders, music systems, etc. It's all different now. Gra- gramophones and... I'm not as old as it looks. <laughs> so, um, and I said, what's happening here? And he said, yeah, you know, I, I do this and I do that, and uh, it's all great, it's it, it's easy, and you know, I'm, I'm not getting caught, and... Blah, blah, blah. So I ended up um, taking a chance, and, uh, going abroad or paid for and bringing drugs into the country. And that's where it, it, it spiraled to, basically. And all the time I'm thinking, well, I believe in God and he won't let me get prison. <laughs> Cause, but well, that, that I was going to ask yeah. both of you that before you get to, to you know, that uh, landing in prison... 
Joe, you touched on the, the the fact that you had some moral compass that there was something in your in your your head and your heart and your mind and and your upbringing um, that gave mm. you that um, sense of right and wrong, um, that inbuilt morality that whether you're saved or not, everybody has, I believe. Uh, Tommy, you, you, how what was your understanding of God of Jesus? Um, what was you know were your parents religious? What was your idea of of, of God and my parents, uh, religion uh, at that point. My parents were good people, but I never saw them open the Bible or anything. And they never said you must be a Protestant. I, when I was growing up, everyone was either Protestant or Catholic. And one of my parents was one, one of my parents was the other. And I said, "What am I?" And they, they ended up in an argument, saying, "No, he's a Protestant. No, he's a Catholic." <laughs> and I just thought, you know what? I'm, I'm just a scout. I'm just Tommy. I'll just be me. So I, had, I always had a sense of God, and He was always there. And when right. I look back, I can trace all the steps by the way. We may, mm. we may, mm-hmm. we may come to that. We'll, we'll dive. We'll definitely yeah, dive yeah. into that one. But um, He was always there. And when I first left home, which I didn't mention, my very first flat. The spirit just came over me, and I was writing, I mean, I had a black marker pen, and my bedroom walls were all white, and I was writing psalms in big letters on my black marker pen on my bedroom walls, and I look back and thinking, oh Lord, where did I go wrong? Because I was full of, I had some, God was in me somehow, and I went so far off track that our Lord had to sort of like teach me a lesson, show me, this is where you're going to go, and that's what's going to happen. And I, and I will put you through this, but I will be with you, and I'm going to take you out of this. Because basically, the life I was living, and I'll say it now to being teenagers now, or kids now, it's going to be hospital, or jail, or death, or all three, and that's where all that leads to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's... And I'm thinking, I believe in God, you know, and um, he's going to protect me. I won't go to jail and bang, one day I did. Um, you know, obviously you don't have to go into deep detail, but was that like a deal gone bad? Something, you know, you just got rumbled and then... Well, the, the like, I, I, What was that moment when you knew, like, oh, sugar, like, um, that's me for the knackers yard? Like, I, I've been asked this before a few times, and people say, well, so what did it feel like when you, 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 know, you got nicked? And then what did it feel like when you got sentenced to... Uh, I got sentenced to quite a long time. And my answer's always quite... Well, it is what it is, but... I've had I've had worse blows in life. I've suffered worse blows in life than being sent to prison, even for a long time, or being nicked on charges of a conspiracy to import drugs. Right. So at the time, it was like... It is what it is. I'll ride it, you know, it's... Um, some people, it, it probably, someone said to me once, jail will either make you or break you, you know. It didn't break me, because uh, I'd, I'd been broken and mended before, and when you're broken and mended, you're tougher. Yeah. You, 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 you're stronger somehow. You're used to adversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. I'm not going to go into it now, but yeah, no, no. So w- when I got the, uh, the t- charged, or was nicked in the first place, like arrested for the, the crime, and then consequently uh, sent to prison for it it just it was like water it, it might sound like I'm bravado but the truth is it was like water for ducks back our Lord has a, a, a technique there with people if you're going through some severe pain he'll just make you unconscious mm-hmm. you know and it's a it, it can be the same emotionally 
I was quite numb. I was numbed to it. So it's all happening, and you can see it happening, and it's a bit like watching the television. It's really happening, but you're not feeling the full impact. He has mercy and just numbs you, and that's what I felt. Wow. So um, with that being said, um, I think it's well documented and well appreciated that the prison, as you said, can, can make or break an individual. <coughs> and um, having your, your freedoms of the world being taken away from you and being in such an extreme uh, environment, uh, it's obviously synonymous with, with many men and women who come to faith, who, who come to knowledge of God, who come to the knowledge of our Saviour Yeshua, yeah. whether it be an experience, an encounter, whether it be a, a Bible slip to them, whether it be, you know, uh, going to the chapel within within the prison itself. There's many, many testimonies, uh-huh. which is uh, incredible. So, gents, if you could just talk me through and walk me through how your faith was either instigated was there a catalyst? Was there a, a, an experience? Was it something that came after the prison? Talk me through about how your faith and how your uh, experience and knowledge of God was was either instigated or galvanized by by your time in there. That's a wonderful question, that Dan. Um, Joe, would you like to go first? Yeah, bless you, brother. Thank you. Um, I my mum uh, raised me Roman Catholic. In Catholicism, I went to a Catholic school, so I had I had like some idea of it. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was complete atheist, um, and it was always, it was always the get out of jail free card. That was when I was on my knees. I was, you know, oh, that was when God became real. I, I found that I was having a lot of ch- a lot of church and really praying on my knees when I was in a prison cell. All the other, what I wanted something, you know, because we often, when we're in the world, we'd see God like a Santa Claus, don't we? You know, like a, a first aid kit, like a first aid kit. Yeah, like oh, everything's going wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry out to God and say, I'll never do it again. Just stop this, please. And you know, you you put your hope and your expectation that you know God's gonna deliver you because you're like, I have always believed. You know, I have. <laughs> <laughs> so that that I found that I was always praying when I was in trouble. It was like me, me what I'd revert to, yeah, as Tommy says, it was always me. It was my plan X, but I really did invest into it because, you know, I had somewhat of a belief. But I, I really did find the Lord whilst I was in prison more and more. I wouldn't say I, I completely uncovered his identity and I wouldn't say I was completely immersed in his character and his covenant, but he was definitely revealing himself to me. Um, I remember, you know, when I, when, I, when I spent my first night in prison, I woke up in the morning and... Um, as you're waking up, I'll never forget this. It's an experience that I'll share with you. The 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 the, the beds are like judo mats. They're like crash mats. They're not like mattresses. You know, they they like they like they can't be burnt. And it's got this thick plastic coating on them because so many people pass through them. They're just the the wrong. They're like they're literally like crash mats. And I woke up on this crash mat and I was thinking, why am why am I on the floor on my bedroom? And I'm as I start opening my eyes, I, I was thinking of my morning routine, like get up, have a protein shake, you know, check my phone, smoke a spliff. And as I'm opening my eyes, I was like, where am I? And I'm in this white, smelly, damp smell with a cell with all these noises and all the doors were opening. It was like, and all the doors are opening. And I'm like, I sat up and I was like, oh, wow, I'm in, I'm in prison. Wow. And it was like it was so hit hard hitting, and, and I walked out onto the um, 
onto the twos, which is like the la- like the landing at the prison, and everyone was just moving around. Everyone was dressed in these like in these in this prison uniform. Everyone was in this like grey. People just walking past, and I was just like, oh wow, you know, I'm I'm here, like I'm really I'm really here, man. And you know, it it it's just it's heavy because they, they, what they do is they incarcerate you, and you become um. You you you, be, you become part of the jail. You become part of it. it it's it's because you you hijacked and and everything is is controlled. You become institutionalized to a point where you're like you can lose a bit of yourself because the that's your punishment. You know what I mean? And I remember praying that that night and and and, and crying. I was in tears. I was like, wow, Father, you know, I used to just. I remember when I I never knew what it whether he was Lord God. I'd used to say. Uh, Father God, Lord Almighty. I never knew which which to address him by. I was always in search of his true name, even when I was young. So I used to say, like, you know, Lord God, Father Almighty. I used to go by them points when I'd open me prayer. I was like, you know, I I, I felt remorse and I knew that I, I was in the wrong place. And, um, you know, it was not where, where I wanted to find myself. And I'd sort of then realised I'd just been, com- you know, convincing myself right throughout my life when I was living living lawlessly and living as a criminal, I, you know, I, I was I was a good person, you know what I mean? And I always used to remember my mum saying that, you know, I used to say hi to my mum, I used to say, I live right, you know. And she, she'd always stop me in my tracks and say, you know, don't say that you're a righteous person. You don't know what the definition of that is yet, you know, wow. because I used to say I'm right, you know, because I used to think, like, I did good deeds. Like, you know, I remember, like, Lads who used to do running for me and keep drugs for me. I, I knew they were in a bit of poverty, so I'd turn up with, like, bags full of shopping. And I'd just, like, have these, like, Robin Hood moments mm. where I'd, like, maybe someone had someone had been robbed. Like, we took drugs off someone or we got money from, from, from a deal. And then I'd be, like, I'd sort of, like, tithe in a way. You know, I felt like I needed to give something away of it and you know, bless other people who were less off than me. I used to pull up to people with water cash in envelopes to drug addicts and just give them it and just, uh, not to boast in that. I mean, I just, I had that slight sense of like, felt like I needed to do arms to cover myself because I knew that I was like doing wrong. So I had like certain things woven into me then. But whilst I was in prison, um, everyone's given a Bible if they want one, you know. And I, and I began to, to read and um you get an option whether you want to visit from the priest. And I'll never forget this, Darren. Um, this priest came to me one day, and he was an Irish guy. Um, I've forgotten his name. Um, and he, he was a real charming man, very gentle, very special man, you know, and he, and he stepped into my cell this day, and I can't do the Irish accent, but it was like, uh, so, Joe, you, you want to have a talk about what's going on? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do, actually. And I felt like I weren't going to tell him much. And we spent an hour in the cell and I was just, I felt like I needed to confess, you know, who I was and what I was doing and, and why it weren't me and how I wanted to change. And he gave me a book by a guy from Manchester who was a heroin addict. And um, it was called Chasing the Dragon or something like this. And it was his experience about finding the Lord and being born again. He, he gave me this book so much so that I wrote to this man, uh, whilst I was in my prison cell, he wrote back to me. We, we exchanged letters, and that's when you know my experiences with God really did start to manifest. Because whilst I was in the pit, as David says, you know, whilst I was I was in that low place and 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 in that darkness, you cry out and you're looking for the light, and then 
often when we're in a storm, when when we're in hardship, when we're in, you know, a place of adversity, we, we, we can really experience God. And, you know, he began to reveal himself to me whilst I was there. And we can get more into that, but I'm sure Tommy had want to share a bit about where, you know, he began to meet the Lord in, in, inside. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, like you said, basically, it's a godly person basically coming into your life while you're in there. Um, I was very fortunate, and when I look back, I know it was our Lord's hand all the way through. It's uh, uh, one, two, three, four, five. During my time away, I was in five different uh, jails, five different prisons, and um, in most of them, I was fortunate enough to get work either in the library or in the chapel or both. And it was through being in the chapel that um, I was alerted to the fact that there's some wonderful, beautiful people in this world. And I'd be in the chapel, even if I wasn't in a working capacity, I'd be in there anyway because it wasn't new to me to seek God. And I thought I'd let him down, and he was really now I'm in a, a bad place, and he's really the only resource I can turn to. Let's go to the chapel. I'm in the chapel, and people used to come from outside voluntarily and speak the Bible to people. I mean, to groups of people, not one to one, just to, I mean, to masses of people. People used to come in voluntarily and play. Worship music. People used to come in voluntarily and be a, a, a chaplain. And I think when I look back on all my whole time away, the best times were in the chapel. And the best people I met were chapel related. And I'm talking like Protestants, Catholics, nuns, even at one time, and is an imam, you call it an imam? Yeah. Um. A wonderful man he was. He's a, a, a godly man. I know they serve a different God, and etc., etc. But this guy was there for people who were in need, people who were suffering, and he's bringing them hope. And then um, back to my personal story. The it was when I was in the chapel. In fact, it, it might seem strange, but I'm in my mid fifties now. And some of the best memories I have in my own life personally are actually from prison. <laughs> it, it sounds bizarre, but um, I've got some wonderful memories, and 90 or 95% of them are chapel related. And some of the best people I ever met was actually while I was in prison, some of them, not all. And they were all from the chapel. And I didn't, like Joseph said, I didn't actually, well, God actually found me, but I didn't recognise God at the time in prison. It was it was a chain of events that led to just after I came out of prison. Right. And it continued, but it started most definitely when I was in prison because I got, I'd, got, I'd gone so far off the rails that our Lord had to bring me low to bring me back up again. But um, it was all... It was all chapel related. And I used to go to Protestant services, Catholic services. Then I'd be working and I'd be there in a working capacity as well. And we'd be singing hymns and worship. We used to do stuff at different times of the year, like 
Easter and Christmas, which obviously I don't do now. But at the time, it was um, it was all it was God fearing people that were in my life, and um, and look, I I hold them dearly in my heart. Not just because what they did for me in my life personally, when I look back on it, but, but who they are and what they do in the name of Jesus, you know. They would f- give of themselves, give the time. I mean, I remember um, there was a Canadian guy called Sean. He's one of the best people I've ever met. I think he came from the Salvation Army, was he? Yeah. God bless them people. And... Um, he was just wonderful, man. And I remember, um, like, you come out of your cell, you come off the wing, and you're going towards education, or you're going to the library, or you're going to the workshop, or in my case, I was going to the chapel. And there he was on the corridor, and he had this big smile for people. And he, and he remembered everyone's name. It'd be something like, Hey, God bless you, Darren. Hey, Joseph, how are you, man? God bless. And I'm thinking... I remember thinking, wow, what a guy. And then at the same time, I'm thinking, no one can be happy all the, all, all the time as much mm. as he is. What What is he? <laughs> right? Because he, he was always seen so happy. And it was, it was only years later, looking back, I thought, A, he truly loved Jesus. Yeah. Right? And B, he put aside his own infirmities because he suffered badly with a, a, a knee problem which made it's given a lot of grief and a lot of pain i didn't realize this till a, a long time after i met him and he had the same issues as all of us like a, a sore stomach or a headache or a toothache or family problems you'd never know it with him and i looked at him i thought i know what he's doing i know what he's doing he's representing our lord and savior jesus christ so he always had a smile and a welcoming hug and a, a word of blessing for everyone. And I thought, what an example. Mm. Praise God for his hand in the institutions. You know, uh, as you mentioned there, like whether it be a, a priest that comes into your cell, whether it be another cellmate who who has faith and he's, he's fallen on the wrong side of the tracks. I often think back to my days in primary school and I can recollect the times where we used to pray. Um, we used to sing worship songs and you know that was that was seeds being planted at a time that um, I, I didn't I didn't know what was going on. So I, I love, you know, it's an example how we serve a sovereign God in His providence. He's He's there in the He's there in the pit. He's there in the, the valleys. He's there on the mountains. He's there. He's there. And um, you know, Yeshua said, I, "I don't come for the for the righteous. I come for the sick." Mm. He's there. He's there for the sinners. And, and you know. Like you said, you met some of the you know the greatest people in there, some of the most humble people, but yet they're 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 all wretches. They're all, you know, what would be described as the scum of the earth. You know, have done some detestable deeds, but you know that um, you know God God is uh, is everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows all. He sees all. He knows every hair on our head, and it's uh, it's just beautiful to hear how you can you can see him and find him and feel him in there. Everywhere you go, so um, praise God for those that are doing the work in in those environments. Truly. And um, you know, I just I just pray and I hope that there are more that are inspired to do the same. Truly. You know, to carry the baton on. Yeah. So with that, um, as we touched on um, at the top of the show, the um, 
the amount of examples in the scriptures, the patriarchs that were either incarcerated or in in insufferable situations. Um, how long into your journeys, like both during and after prison, were you starting to see a correlation with what you saw in the Bible and what you had experienced yourself? Mm. So when you start reading these stories of Joseph uh, and and all these other guys that were in in adversity and you're like crikey their story's my story mm. I, I can i can see the same peaks and troughs that i've experienced as you grew in the word as you, as you grew closer to the lord in whatever way you did was it did you have these moments where you just like read in your life like yeah. how, and how was that for you great question bro thank you very much man wow i'm just thinking back there this is where the lord really began to show me some things was actually in a prison cell so i had this little red it's like a red Bible, you know, you're given it, you know, you get one if you want one. And I remember I was in Gideon's Bible. Or it may be a Gideon's. Gideon's yeah. Probably the same one you get in the hotels. Isn't yes, it? The that's the one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, and I, re- I remember at the time when I was in prison, I was, th- I was cast into a ghastly season of trial and I was ready to just implode. I am, um, something really heavy happened to me um on a wing uh, as it's known um different clusters of 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 regions gather together all all the scousers all the people from liverpool all the welsh lads you know all the lads from down south they sort of congregate as a clique and uh, you know all the black lads over there and, and and that's how it is and um i was i was chilling with these Scouse lads and, and, and my co-ees who, who had been sent down with, they were moved to a different part of the jail and I was on my own. And it was quite a lonely time, you know, and everyone's trying to be someone, especially in a young offenders institute. When you move to adult jail, like things are different because mm. there's fellas with kids and wives and they just want to get their head down and just yeah, crack on. And not pointing, trying to a lot of them want a, want a qualification, but in young offenders, everyone's gang mentality. It's, it's GTA. It's just the, it's, it's the jungle, mate. And yeah. everyone wants to be someone and do something. And I was I was found myself in terrible situations. There was one time I was in the showers and these lads went off and he went off big time. And the screws, or sorry, the the, um, prison, officers. the prison officers, they, they, they locked them in the shower and it was just to the death. It was just total blood. And and I, I began to realise quickly that the prison officers were like their own clique as well. You know what I mean? Because there was a lot of drugs coming into the prison and they were their own clique and you wouldn't mess with them. They'd, just, they'd twist you up. They'd come in your cell, five or six of them, and just weigh you in. Like they were their own clique. They weren't police. They're like a security. They're like bouncers. You I know? think uh, institutionalised corruption within the policing system and the police officers that's a podcast in itself yeah uh, yeah sorry carry on so anyway uh i found myself in a lot of trouble is on the wing there's a barber you know and 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 people will pay him shower gel or like baki roll them tobacco Tobacco. uh, or they'll pay him cookies or this or that you get like a canteen every week and you get like a a vacuum packed bag and you get to tick off what you want and you you can purchase like um you know shower gels deodorants and people like used to kick the pad out and like it'd be like mtv here's my crib you'd walk into people <laughs> and someone would be like yeah i've got this exclusive from 2002 and it's this like african links shower gel that's got like a hologram on it and and everyone on the wings like yeah yeah it's worth about three pouches of backy that and people were like trying to trade for it and that means it's madness you know it's madness <laughs> so if you want to get your hair cut you got to pay like one of 
the barber and he, he's there. He's making he's making he's making a whack on it. You know what I mean? He's yeah. cutting people's hair, and he's legit at it. You can do the fade, the undercut, and this and that. But I was just getting a skinhead, and I was like, "Well, I'm not paying this fella, mate. Like, I'm not paying him. I'm just going to bick me head." So already you're on the back foot because like they're the wings clippers and everyone can use them, but he sort of the man with the clippers. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I'm queuing up and I get these clippers and anyway I've, I've sort of started shaving my head now and. I'd waited and waited and waited, and you'd only get a certain amount of time on what's called social. So you, you get 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and if there's five lads who want their hair cut, and this lad knew I wanted to cut my hair myself, so he was, like, putting me to the back of the queue before. He was like, I've got these lads to do, and blah, blah, blah. So I waited and I waited and I waited, and I'm losing patience, and I'm ready to say something. Anyway, it's now my time to cut my hair. So I shave, I'm shaving my head, and one of the screws then shouts, right, lads, it's bang up, which means that you've got a few minutes to get back in your cell before the alarms go off. They want you in the cell when they say bang up. And I can hear them shouting, bang up, bang up, bang up. And I'm like, I've got softies and little patches that I can see in this little mirror that I'm missing. You know, I haven't done this, like, before. And I'm, like, trying to get... And I, I know that if I've got, like, a little patch I haven't I haven't cut, I'm going to get tethered <laughs> yeah, by all the lads. Yeah. They're going to be like, cut your hair, mate, one of the screws. And, oh, it's just ruthless, mate. Everyone just speaks to each other with insults. So I'm trying to shave my head. And uh, I'm going, I'm going, and he's like... Come on, bang up, bang up. Anyway, I gets to this last bit and I'm trying to put them in the box and I can hear like people getting in the cells now and I'm in the peripheral of my vision. I'm like one of the last on the wing, you know, but there's, there's, there's other people down there who are like cleaners and they wait till everyone's gone in so they get like an extra five minutes on the pool and on, on, and on the ping pong and that. So they're just taking the time because they're cleaners because the cleaners on the wing get the privileges. They create like a pyramid structure, you know, yeah. they do, they do it like... So the cleaners get all the privileges. They save you food. You've got to be in with the cleaners because they give you the big portion. Mm-hmm. It's all that. And I can see them still going. And I'm putting these wing clippers to cut my hair with in the box. And, 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 I, and I start coming down these steel stairs. And I hadn't closed the box properly. And I felt the box open in my hand. And I looked down and I went to grab these these clippers and the big metal. like They look like something off there. Uh, they're just massive clippers. Big, big clunky things. Yeah, they look like something that you, you know, you'd shear a sheep with, bro. <laughs> you know, these industrial gritty, they're like, they, they should be white, but they're tanned brown because they're that old. You make like a noise. have seen a few heads, yeah. They go, and they're massive, you know, they're real, like, they're just old. Anyway, I goes to, to grab them because they're coming out of the box and they just fell out the box. And I, I just remember them just falling down these steel <laughs> stairs and each bang, you just more bits broke off them, and more screws and springs were just flying out, and it was like, and they're making a big loud noise, you know. And there's all cleaners playing ping pong and snooker, and did all like that, and, and and I can see them all looking up like that, and there's like ping pong balls just come. I've just smashed the wing clippers to bits. They're just in bits, you know. And I went, oh, I went off. Said, oh, like, no. said like, said oh, like a no. square bird. Oh dear. And I, I looked round, and I just. They was just eyes all gazed on me, and I, I, I tried to laugh it off. I went, oh, silly me, and no one laughed. No <laughs> one laughed. You know, it was just all lads in vests, you know, tattoos on their faces. No one's laughing, and I'm like... Anyway, one of the prison officers come up, and he went, oh, he said, these are in a bad way. He said, these are, these are broke, these. Uh, the lads on the wing aren't going to be happy. And I was thinking, oh, and I said, well, can't you just get an, another set? And he went, no, you, you got to get pat tested by an electrician. you got to bring him in and this and that. And I went, oh, flipping it. 
So I went in myself, and as I'm in myself, I can hear lads speaking outside, and one of the cleaners, because they get, they get to clean the wing now, after social. He comes to the crack in my door, and I couldn't see him, you know, just just this, just where the, the door meets the frame, these mm-hmm. thick steel doors. And he says, uh, hey, Birkenhead. That's what I was called, because that's yeah. where I was from. And I went, what? And he went, uh, come here a minute. I see this just, I can't see no face, I just hear a voice and a shadow. So I stands up and I say, what's up? And he says, yeah, you broke the wing clippers, haven't you? We're all going to have longer, you little this and that, and you you know what's going to happen to you now? And I was like, what? what? And I was like, what do you mean? What's going to happen to me? And his hand's kicking in. He's like, yeah, watch what happens, mate. Watch what happens. Everyone knows you broke him. Like, you're dead, you're dead. You're effing dead. You're, de- you're dead, man. You're a dead man. Don't come out of this cell, you're dead. And he goes, and I'm like... Who are you? What, what? Come back, come back. And I'm shouting them and I'm like, my head's falling off and I'm in this cell and now I've got 24 hours to think about what's going to happen. And I'm like, wow, and more cleaners come. Things were coming under my door. It was terrible, mate. And I was just in this cell and uh, the only thing I had was the Bible, man. Mm. And I opens it and I'm thinking, I'm reverting back to the first day kids again, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, God, I've got to speak to, got to speak to God now. Only God can intervene. And I'd never heard of King David before. And I opens up to the Psalms and um, I began reading these Psalms and I didn't know that like the Bible contained like war and, and, and you know, and, and divine conquests and King David's battles and how he overcome with the sword and victory. And I was like, I started reading these Psalms and I was like checking the front cover to make sure it was like, I thought this was meant to be like, a good book, and I'm reading about like, you know, the Amalekites getting taken off the game. Something you had to identify with, basically. I was reading like <laughs> King David saying, "Teach my hands to know war, oh Lord," and I'm like, "Wow!" And I'm reading further, and it's like, "Dumbfound my enemies," and and these are prayers, and I knew that like these mm. these were prayers, and then I could re- I was reading further, and you know, uh, the the Lord shall wet his sword. And, and come against those who come against Israel. And I was like, who is this Israel? I think I want to be Israel. Like, I need to be Israel, you know? And I'm like, reading all these things. And I'm like, you know, Father, help me. You know, I need help. And, you know, they surround me uh, like uh, like wolves and, and uh, creatures of Bashan. And I'm, I'm reading, and I, this is how I felt. Mm. And I felt a real encounter with God that night, you know, um, reading these psalms prophetic so prophetic and i prayed and i repeated things that david said you know don't find the enemy confuse the enemy and i remember getting up the next day and i, I was so anxious but you obviously you put the front on you tense up you walk out your cell like that you know what i mean i walked out my cell and, and no one said nothing and it was like no one said nothing to me and i queued up for food and one of the scousers or one of the lads from Liverpool, he approached me and he said, you know, you need to be careful, mate. I think there's a few people who are going to try and take you out, like, in the, in the shower, just watch your back and that. And I was like, is anyone going to help me or that? And he was like, nah, you're on your own and look, we don't get involved and just watch out, blah, blah, blah. And I felt, like, so alone. And um, this went on now for a few days and I, and I anticipated it. And I, I remember one cleaner came to me this day and I, I thought it had all been forgotten about and he said uh, on, on, on exercise something's going to happen and um, it's all fear mongering and that you know again I prayed went back to these words in the bible reading them reading them reading them wow 
teach my hands to no war. And I didn't want to fight because in prison, they say if you fight, like, if you retaliate, you can't, like, have self-defense. You've got to curl up in a ball until the prison officers get there. If you retaliate, there's, there's, you can lose your tag. You can be segregated as well. They treat you both the same. Or your sentence can be extended. Or your sentence can be extended. Yeah. And I wanted out, mate. I wanted me tag because it was my first time in prison. You can get this thing called a tag on your on your, on your your leg or on your wrist where you, you can go home and, yeah. and you, you'd be in a curfew. So I wanted it badly. So I didn't want to fight, but I knew that it might have to come to that. And then I bump into one of my coes on the way and he's like, go and exercise. And I said, look, for his name was. I said, bro, I said, this might go off. I said... I've been getting threats through myself, the, the posting things, the saying things. I said, I'm, I, I don't know who to trust. I say, you know, I haven't been in the showers, this or that, I, I, but I'm coming to exercise. And he said, look, I'm with you. We'll sort it. I'll tell Jamie. So we told Jamie and all three of us went and you got to walk in a big circle. That's all you do. That's what exercise is. But a lot of the time, all the clicks just move into their own little groups and just have a, have a smoke and that. And that's what happened. And, and we just walked this ring. And I remember just felt feeling this empowerment of having like a brother next to me. And they were like, look, bro, if it goes off, it goes off already. And we walked around in this circle and, and nothing happened. And I was like, wow, maybe this is all like this. And then I, I get approached a few days later by um, another lad. And, and he was from Liverpool. And he was like, what are you been for again anyway, mate? Because you've been given a big stretch, haven't you? And I was like... Wow, and I'd, I'd only, I only did 10 months. I was only given 10 months for this uh, for this fight that we were in. And he went, yeah, you're on a 10, aren't you? And I, I, didn't, I didn't get get what he was saying at first. And I was like, I said, what, what do you mean? He went, you know, to, to get 10 years, have you, have you bumped someone off? What have you done? And I was like, no, I said, no, but 10, I've, ten, 10 months, not 10 years. Because he was saying, you know, have you got 10 years? And I, I said, no, 10 months. And he was like, what? He was like, wow, I've been told that you were given 10 years. And I was like, no, no, 10 months. And then, like, I went back to my cell and I could see other people talking and he was walking. And, and, and as you look back like that and he's speaking to someone else and looking the point and then you see the point and you look away. And I got back to my cell and then I realised that uh, it had gone round the wing that I'd been given this real hefty sentence and, like... So they thought you were a big shot. It also was a big time. shot, yeah. Mm. And and everyone had got it in their head that I was in. It was inside for ten years when it was only ten months. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, wow. So I started seeing these things take place where like the, the Lord was just intervening. The Lord was just intervening, and this went on and on and on anyway. And and there was one guy when I was in gym. He was getting over friendly with me. He was coming round. He was throwing his arm around me, and he was he was he was trying to get get a bit rough with me, you know, put his elbow in me, and then he'd like pretend to spar and 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 get close to you, and I and I know that your fight or flight kicks in, and then it's all like, oh, I'm only messing, I'm only messing, you know, I'm only messing. What are you doing? And it's horrible, mate. It's just horrible. And this one day, I, whilst all this was going on, I treated all this. The uh, police, uh, the prison officers with respect. I had my cell immaculate. When they come to do a pad check, I got everything out prepared for them, all rolled up. I'd opened all my drawers and got all like my underwear out and took all, all my stuff off the shelf. I'd, I'd clean my sink. I used to ask the cleaners to give me gloves and bleach and I'd bleach my cell down. I tried to keep it like, like an environment, you know, that was nice, even though it wasn't. It was horrible. <laughs> So when they come, they were always like, oh, Joe, you know, your cell's great and it's good. We're going to give you this and that. 
there was a, a special place in the prison called Eye Wing, right. where you get a key for your cell. It's like a youth club. You get a shower. And I'm going to get to this now, to this uh, resolve. This lad from Manchester, he, he, he was getting close this day. And I knew something was getting set up. And I'd applied for this eye wing. And I, the Lord took me right to the end, you know. He come over this day and we're on social and he's putting his arm around me again. And this time I could see his boys moving around the side of me. And I just got onto it. And But I'm playing dumb, you know. I'm like, oh, like me, yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, as soon as he tries to strike me, I'm going to retire. I'm going to, like, you know, defend myself. And he's getting proper close and, and he gets close and... He, and, and I'm starting to lose my words a bit because I could feel my adrenaline coming up and he's asking mm. me questions and I can't get my words out now because I know and I could see it getting set up and he'd done this to someone else and then I just seen it was just like this beam of light coming from from over there it's like the screws office the door opened and I seen one of them and he, he said uh, Mr Ringwood and I just felt the arm come off my shoulder of this lad, and he, he looked up, and his mate walked away, and he started to walk away, and I looked up, and I went, yeah, and he went, pack your stuff, mate, you're going to Eye Wing, wow. and and I was getting moved now to this great part of the, you know, the, the prison, where you've got a shower in your pad, you know, you got loads of movies on a telly, you get a key for your cell, as much dessert as you want, you can go up for seconds and thirds. It's like known as para. It's the oasis in prison. Everyone wants to get there. And I'm packing all my stuff into this bag and this cleaner who kept dropping me all these like heavy threats. He comes up and he's like, hey, Birkenhead, do you mind if I have your curtains? And I went, nah, take them, mate. And he goes in my cell behind me and they're like Velcro curtains. And I can hear them ripping them off the wall. <laughs> And he's looking back at me, he's like, cheers, mate. And he was just like, <laughs> after all these threats, he's like taking me curtains. And, and bro, I had me, I had my bag full of stuff on my back. And I walked to Eye Wing and I was just like that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just kept saying. And I, I knew God was was there then. And I was like, Dad, this is real. God's real. I've, I've always knew God's real. I need to know more about him. And, and that's where it really began then for me. And obviously, I, I had a lot of backsliding even when I come out of prison, but I really began to feel the power, the omniscience, how he is going to defend and fight for his people and a whole wing full of criminals just being dumbfounded and confused and right up to that last moment and just having the faith and trusting in him. And he delivered me. He delivered me that day. And um, I was in eye wing and the rest of me stretch was a breeze and made loads of good mates who I'm still made to it now. And yeah, you know, um, I don't think I picked the Bible back up after that, you know, but... It's always the way, isn't it? You just like you, you, you get you get that gift, but that's his grace and his mercy. You know, it's poured out when you don't deserve it. You give him bounty and blessing and love when you're not worthy of it. And he really did defend me, but he was a mystery, the Lord. Then, and that was when it all began, really, for me wow. in prison. So, Tommy, any dropped uh, clippers or uh, close shaves with fellow inmates? How, how was that for you in terms of, like I said, going back to the question of seeing a parallel with with uh, with the scriptures and what you were experiencing in, in your life, or, or was it not quite as obvious as that for you? Yeah, um, like Joe said at the outset, um, he was in a youth offenders prison, and there all it's all bravado, etc. And like Joe said, um, with the adult prison now, it's usually more elderly, more 
men who are a bit older, a bit more experienced, and they just want to do the time and get out. And you can be in sometimes you can be in a certain prison where like most of the men are there, and they they really detest it when some of the young ones come in because they mess things up, you know. And if if one of the young ones does something, everyone's deprived of a, a certain privilege. Right. You think, oh, you know, some of these kids are only doing months. They're doing years. I've just done eight years, and I've only got a couple of years left, and blah blah blah. So I was in a different environment to Joseph, obviously, where um, he just wanted to do your time and get out, basically, you know. Um, and really, my when I was in there, I, see, before I went in there, I, I knew that um, one of my experiences as a teen was um, I knew a lot of Rastafarians. Beautiful, God-fearing people. And um, one of their mantras was like a chapter a day. Um, I'm not sure if it was keeps the devil away, but it was a chapter a day. And I believe that if you read a chapter a day, it takes three and a half years to get through the whole uh, Bible. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this. And um, the truth of the matter is, I was reading a chapter a day, a chapter a day, a chapter a day. Sometimes I'd miss one or two. Then I'd read three then yeah. th- th- on the Thursday or whatever. And it was basically, I've read my chapter. You know, like, I, I'm in your good books, I've read my chapter. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't really. So basically, I, I sort of read the, the Bible cover to cover twice, really, more or less. But it wasn't really um, doing anything. Right, you know, it, and it wasn't really till I came out. What happened to me personally, Darren, was while I was inside, it was like a chain of events. So I'm always, practically always, in the chapel, either as a a visitor, as an inmate, or because I was working there, like a chapel orderly, um, which was the best job for me. It really was the best job, and. After a while, it was um, from prison to prison, then the next chapel, then the next chapel. And then the last prison I was in, it was the same old scene. You got the Protestants, and you got the Catholic Mass, etc. I'd set things up. We'd sing the hymns. We'd have a, and by the way, some of, the, some of these vicars and Catholic priests were just wonderful, God-fearing people. Um, but it was only when there was a lad came in very near the end of my sentence his name was Nick and he came in like a breath of fresh air and he believed in our Lord just like everyone in the chapel did or the people that were saving in the chapel and um, like I said he was like a breath of fresh air and he said these people are talking about Jesus. He said, um, they've got it all wrong. And I'm thinking, and I've done quite a few years by now, I'm thinking, what does he mean, they've got it all wrong? And he goes, you don't, there's no Christmas in the Bible, there's no Easter in the Bible. And he started to make me think a different way, you know? Um, and I'm thinking, wow. I, I talked to him now and again, and I said, how long are you doing? He said, I've been doing a couple of months, and I'm in and out. But by that time, I'd reached nearly the end of my sentence. I mean, I'd be going out on weekends to see family, sometimes a week at a time to see family. Wow. They sort of adjust you to normal society. 
they used to just kick people out and they couldn't adjust. So then they started saying, well, a day, then a weekend, then a week, etc. So I was near the end of my sentence and um, this lad called Nick, a wonderful lad, he was like a breath of fresh air. And I said, uh, so when you're out? And he goes, yeah, such and such a day. I said, all right. I said, I've still got like another six or seven months after that. I said, where, 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 where church you go? And he told me, it's a church called Elin. Mm. It was in Liverpool, in North Liverpool. There's a, there's a few of them, but the one he went to was in North Liverpool. Right. So I said, when I get out, I'll come and see you. And uh, and I did. And it was a great place. And um, for a while, it, it, it was just ticking all the boxes. It was a wonderful place to be. And I'm thinking, this is it. I found... Um, I mean, you know, we go to church to search, you know? We, we go to church to search. And I'm thinking, I found... I found Jesus Christ, this is it, this is a wonderful church. But there was a little thing that sort of like irked me a little bit. And what they used to do, and it was on a Sunday, and we know this, the Sabbath is on a Saturday, now we know this, but these were God-fearing people trying their best. So I'm there now. And what they used to do near, near the end of every um, sermon or gathering, whatever you want to call it, Call people to the front. <laughs> I have to laugh, but uh, I was going at the time with one of my best friends, um, Brian. Um, so we're going there now. And next day, obviously, who recommended the place? And at the end of each same, and they sort of drop, uh, ask people to come up to the front, and they, they pray over you, mm. right? And people are just going down like skittles, <laughs> right? I mean, like, flat down on the back, out, out, like, unconscious, or I don't know. And I'm thinking, wow, I, I haven't seen this before. Like, this is this is something new, like, you know. And I'm watching all this thing, and, wow, what's going on here? But I never went up. And uh, me and Brian used to talk about this, saying, uh, what's all that about? You know, like we go home and we talk and say, what's all that about there? Just going up to the front there, and someone's just praying over them like that. And the Lord God Almighty, and da 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 and blah 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 blah. And next minute, they've just gone down. I mean, it, it, look, it used to look a bit bizarre. Yeah. If you've, I have not been to Tempin Bowling, but I've seen it. <laughs> and it was just like strikes all around, bro. Just, yeah, it's just like skittles just lying all around on the floor. Out of it, and I'm thinking. Is it me? Is it a bit weird, or is it, am I a bit weird for not like being <laughs> all right with this? You know, I'm thinking, what's it all about? I mean, Brian, so say, you're not into yeah. getting in on it, no? <laughs> so me, well, I tell you now. So me and Brian said, there, you know, next Sunday should we just like go up and see what, what the score is? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's a wonderful same and the beautiful people really was. It was a wonderful time. So when it, it gets down to like, does there anyone? Come up to the front for prayer and all that. So you was looking at each other. So like me, and, me and Brian are looking at each other, saying, "Come on, we'll go up. Come on, let's go." <laughs> so we goes up. Everyone, everyone, bang, 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 like skittles, and there's only me and him standing. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought maybe it's us. You know, is it us? A short story, uh, long story short, we we sort of said something's not quite right here. You know, and the model of the tale is. Prison was 
four or five major stepping stones to where I am now. And Nick was a big part of that. Then I went to Elam, the church, mm. with Brian, one of my best friends, at, well, my, my best friend at the time. And then me and Brian lost touch, and I stopped going to the church. And after about four years, um, by now I, I got a cat. Or oh, the cat got me, actually. And he's my best friend. His name's Ollie, for f- people who don't know. He's... he's He's just for anyone do, for anyone who who has a pet at home, they'll know that quite often animals can put people to shame because they're so loving, they're so loyal, they just do our father's will. There's no edge to them. There's no deceit. There's no jealousy. They're just beautiful and a part of our Lord's creation. And it was through my cat Ollie that I am. Um, I realised how much badness there was out in the world, how we as people can cheat animals and really abuse them in many ways, since practically since day one. Mm. And I remember being on the back doorstep. It just got a bit too much, and I became a bit of a hermit with me and my cat, Ollie. This is before I met my wife. And I became a bit of a recluse, and I thought, I don't like the world out there. I don't like the world out there. So we just lived at home, and one day I was on the back doorstep, and I remember looking up into the sky and saying, Lord Jesus, I realise now what you've done, this world is wrong, and you gave your life to correct it. I said, Lord, I will give my life to make everything right. Hallelujah. And it's only looking back, it, it was no, no flash of lightning or thunder or earthquakes or anything, but it was looking back, that was the catalyst, and it was the next step in the long chain of events, which included prison, that brought Yeshua HaMashiach and the Torah to reality of my life. And not long after that, I'm shopping in the uh, the local Tesco. I'm in the Tesco, and by this time, uh, Brian, my friend at the time, I hadn't seen him. We'd lost contact for three or four years. I don't know how. It's God's providence. And I'm in the Tesco, and there he is in the same aisle as me, and we sort of walk to, towards each other, and we're like, and the first words out of our mouths, both of us at the same time, was, it's all about Jesus. Hey. It's all about Jesus, it's him. And we were looking at each other saying, wow, we've just said that at the same time, what's going on, blah, 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 blah. So I've gone from prison to Nick, to Elam, to my beautiful Casoli, to declare unto our Lord that I give my life to make the world right. So getting back in touch with Brian, then we met, and he turned around and he said to me, bro, it's the Torah, it's all about the Torah. And he gets, it's the Torah, Torah, Torah. And that's all she said, and I'm thinking, was well, not like a black and white movie from the 60s or something, <laughs> Torah, Torah, yeah, Torah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And then he said to him, there's a lad there from over the water. That's where we are now on the Whittle, the Whittle Peninsula. Who does their teachings about the Bible. And he's, it's all the truth. And it's a fellowship called The Way. Which, um, and I love them guys. Um, we're not there now. We're in Almond House Fellowship. But this is part of the path I came onto. And he, I didn't have a 
internet at the time, so he used to, he used to give me CD discs that I used to just play, <laughs> so I could only hear it. And I'm thinking, wow, wow, wow. And then I got internet, and then I got in YouTube, and I got all these sites that were just doing Torah, the Torah, the Torah. And um, and after a while, we were in the way for a while, and then we came out of the way, and then now we're in Almond House. So that time in prison, all was just a chain of events that led to where I am now. It's just part of the path. I love that. Um I love your description of seeing the uh, the skills in church basically just summed up. Then he like whenever I see anything vaguely charismatic, <laughs> I'm just like, uh. and I, I think actually for those that um, may uh, either be new to the faith or aren't even in the faith, when you do see those things from the outside, they, they can be like pretty bizarre. Um, but the Bible's a bizarre book, so you so you soon get used to the strange things that that, that go on. Mm. Um, that's perfect, and I really, um, I really appreciate the way you, you brought it into, uh, as I said at the top of the show, the, the from lawlessness into the law or the mitzvot, the, the, the wedding vows. Mm. You know, we can often be accused by other Christians, uh, uh, so-called, of, of things like legalism, being uh, under the law, and Jesus fulfilled that, and. No, when you when you get to the Torah, when you get to the, the, the Hebraic context of of those scriptures, you start to see a completely different picture. The wedding vows, the the the, um, the wooing of the bride of Messiah becomes it's the most uh, when, Over, when, <laughs> overwhelmingly overwhelming. beautiful. I can't mm. even articulate the, what obedience means, what mm. what boundaries really are, what what the law and his instruction truly means and and joe as i said you touched on this on on saturday and you said man i was i was the worst of the worst as paul said i was the chief of all sinners a reprobate mind handed over to the world and my own gain and we can all empathize and understand with that mm. and um you then start to see the word made flesh you the the, the word by the the holy spirit is illuminated mm. Their story is our story, and all of a sudden, you want to do His law. You you you've been a rebel. You've been in rebellion all of your life, and you you start to see, wow, this is what I've been rebelling from. Mm. And all of a sudden, you want to do. And I, you said it on numerous occasions. I want to do more than the however many there are written, because you're just that in love and besotted by um, what He's done for mm. us and mm. how we can walk in that obedience. So. Do you think that there's a correlation? Now, there, there are many testimonies out there and there are many parts of the body, but do you believe that there's a correlation to those who are really in the depths, really doing the, the worst of the worst, mm. and how the Lord takes them and he redeems them and he, he makes them teachers, he makes them prophets, he make, makes them evangelizers, mm -hmm. you know, he makes them great men, he makes them husbands, fathers. Um, what, what do you feel about that? Um, you know that redemptive nature of, of Yah and how He takes the worst and and, and uses them uses them for the most. Um, uh, you know, you've said it before. I, I could never imagine that I'd be sitting here teaching, exercising the Word to those wanting to be fed and, and a, a flock that needs to be and wants to be protected. How, how is that for you in terms of what you see in the the, the bigger picture? 
Wow, that's silly, bro. That's that's a wonderful question. There, it truly is. It's, it's very yeah. relevant. You go, go on. Joseph. It's biblical, bro. One hundred percent biblical. One hundred and ten percent biblical. It's so biblical, bro. It's written to the framework of the Word made flesh, and even right all the way from Genesis to Revelations, we look at the patriarchs and we see how Abraham. You know, he had plenty of stuff going wrong. Man, we, we go further back than that, Adam. You know, even in that moment. We know that Noah was a drunk. We know that David was an adulteress. Solomon built high places to Molech. You know, it goes on and on. Moses was a murderer. Uh, Shaul was a grand inquisitor that used uh, mental torment and even advocated the death penalty and was there with Stephen's death. You know, it's massive, bro. And when you look at these patriarchs, you know, and you see what they went through and how the Lord used them, you think, wow, maybe I actually have got a chance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And actually... I'm always on the lookout for people like that. I go recruiting people who are low. You know, Hallelujah. Yeshua loved the unlovable, mate. Yep. He come for the wretches who were just in a mess. You know, the righteous are in no need of a physician, bro. Mm -hmm. It's the sick that need it. So I'm on the, I'm, that's how I recruit people, mate. I go looking. And uh, obviously, uh, we're looking for them who, who, who are in desperate need, who are going to recognize and negotiate that they are a sinner and that they need a savior mm -hmm. and, and 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 that's it you know so when i got out of prison it didn't get any easier i went from a physical prison to a spiritual prison mm -hmm. i got into the new age i took a, a lot of drugs hallucinogenics hard drugs i was injecting drugs took all sorts of different drugs and uh and my mum knew I was in a mess. I went I went to India, to Jaipur, Agra, Mumbai, Delhi. I was into Hinduism, Brahmanism, Quran, Hadid, checking out all sorts of stuff. Basically a new age. Yeah. You know, I was in, right into the new age. I had crosses and crucifixes and amulets of St. Bernadette. And I believed Jesus was some type of ascended master. And I believed that there was things in the Bible that were, that were true. And, you know, and, and God, the God of the universe, you know, showed himself there but i also said well you know what about this and that and look there's loads of prophets and look at gandhi and and look at look look, look at these other people look at the dalai lama and, and that you know they, they got some good stuff as well and I, I was like that seemed right to me in my head and i hadn't fully negotiated everything i was just t tasting everything it was a mixture but it got worse because then i started to get into the occult tibetan book of the dead egyptian book of the dead and all this demonic stuff started happening and it used to happen when I was young but now it was just ramped up to another level and I won't get into all that that's for another day but I was in a spiritual prison and at the time Rebecca who wasn't my wife we were just together in the world having an ungodly relationship my mum was like she'd met these these uh, these pastors it was someone she knew from when she, she was younger he was in a band, Charlie Lansborough. He was a musician. He knew my dad, who was a musician. He were both on the band team at the time. He was a, an alcoholic. Really, he was just known for the, for being an alky. And my mum met him again in, in the shops, similar to how Tommy met Brian. She met Charlie on an aisle, and he had a cup of tea in his hand. And my mum said, oh, Charlie, how are you? And he said, no. He said, I'm great. He said, uh, you know, I'm, um, I'm abstinent, and uh, actually, yeah, I run a church now. I was like, wow, well, come on Sunday. I'm off on Sunday. Where is it? And he went, no, it's it's on the Sabbath. It's on the Lord's Day. And my mum was like, wow. 
And <laughs> I remember me and my mum used to always have arguments. I'd be saying, like, the, the, the papacy is like the beast and the spray and this guy with chemtrails and don't drink the, 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 the fluoride, the tap water, it's, it's contaminated and don't get no vaccines and this and that. And my mum come back this day and she'd been going to see these men and going to this Sabbath congregation and she started to, like, agree with me with a lot of things and I thought my mum would never get it she'd be like oh don't be soft Brack Obama and don't be soft the Pope's great and I'd be like wow I couldn't even speak to my mum I was so high and on and loose on drugs that I was on a different realm of consciousness and she just she was inferior to her understandings of me but then she was coming and then challenging me going you're looking at all this dark stuff where's the light and she challenged me in ways that I'd never been challenged before and I started seeing my mum like change and it was quite scary you know she, she got a reverence about it and She'd say, you know, you, you speak about all these things. What's the answer? I've got an answer for you. You can't give me a resolve to this. What are you going to do? Change the world with your guitar? Come on. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll just get on stage and play Grastonbury and tell everyone to just love and love. And she challenged my understanding of love. She'd be like, well, where do we draw the line with that love that you're speaking about? What happened? Do we start loving sin? Do we start loving darkness? Mm. And I was always having know these demonic attacks and i could share anything with my mum she's been so cool like a friend i could just tell her the worst thing i've done and she'd listen and just still love me so i used to tell her about this demonic stuff that was of course, going on of course. and she said look you need to meet these these two men who've met and they were the pastors at the way and uh, <coughs> i met them and um the day they come i was just smashed out of my head down looking out the window just thinking who are these and they come and I'd never experienced what I call holiness before. I'd right. never like experienced it. I thought I had. I'd been to the Golden Temple of Shiva. I'd done Wonders of the World, Taj Mahal, Niagara Falls. I thought that I'd experienced what you would say was like holy, but I'd never really experienced it. And these men walked through the door, and I could just feel it. I could feel everything in me changing. It was like light I'd never experienced, and I told them everything. I don't know why. I just felt like I needed to tell them everything and I was in tears by the end of the conversation and he prayed for me. They both said, can we pray for you? And all, they, they, they were serious. They said, look, all these things that are happening to you, you've made demonic contracts, you've made contracts with demons. The only way to be liberated from this is through Yeshua. And he, he, kept, he kept referring to him by his Hebraic name and every time he said that name, Yeshua, I'd just like, I'd just go all tingly and muffly and I'd be like, oh, just this name just rolled off the tongue and Hallelujah. he pronounced the, the Lord Jehovah by the tetragrammaton and it had power in it and I was like wow and he said can we pray for you and I said yeah and he, he laid hands on me and I, I just never had an experience like it I really had a, I had an encounter and I come out of it and I knew I just knew that and I was like I found the truth I found it I found what I've been looking for my whole life I found that it's here I've got it I knew it I, I couldn't shake it they went away and it didn't leave me they just got in a car and drove off and said Hallelujah. we'll see you on Shabbat and, and I just was buzzing and I went outside and uh, the air was different mm. everything was more light it, like someone had just turned the contrast up on reality yeah, yeah. Th these voices I was hearing they, they were muted I, I felt strong i felt like different you know i felt like cleansed i felt like something was come up had come off me and i just knew i'd found the truth i've been looking everywhere for it and i thought i'd found it and i convinced myself that oh you know this tibetan book of the dead that's got real truth in it or this like thelemic text that's really but now you knew you had now i knew i'd got the truth i just knew 
I got the truth. It's like someone going, you've been saying two plus two equals five. It's not, you know, two plus two equals four. four. And you go, oh, it's four. Why have I been saying it's five? I knew I'd been struck with the truth. And I knew I was going to pursue it for the rest of my life. And and I did. And I, they told me that every word in the Bible was like true and legally binding. And it was the divine word. And that was the revelation. That was the true revelation. I, you know what, Joseph? I was, wow. When Dan asked me before, and I said, um, I bumped into Jude, uh, Brian in the, uh, the supermarket. And then when we got to sit down and talking, that was the biggest key to me. He said, it's all about the Torah. It's the Torah. It's the Torah. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And the biggest key to me was when he said to me, he said, bro, the whole Bible is true. Mm. Everything in the Bible is true. Up until that point, I thought, well, you know, it's it's good ethics. There's some good messages in there. There's some stories there that have a fantastic morals, etc., etc. When he said to me, um, you see, if it was a total stranger saying, yeah, Tommy, it's all true, the Bible, you know, okay, the lad, I would have been, oh, okay. But because he was my best friend and we've been close for a long time, when he uttered something I knew, like, he was saying it from serious. from a, a real position, a true position. Wow. He wow. said, he said to me, bro, he said, the whole Bible's true. And that was the big key turning point, just mm-hmm. that, I'm so glad Joseph mentioned that because I should have said that before, but that was the big turning point in my life yeah. when I realised that the whole Bible, every word is true. Every word is true. And that was the revelation, bro. And then I, 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 I negotiated that I had this divine technology, bro. And, and, and it was alive and living and I could experience God in it and God's voice was there. And then this Israel, this, this my people Israel, my people Israel... Israel Ephraim, Israel Ephraim. And I'd, I'd, I'd read about in the Old Testament when I was in prison, you know, the, the men revealed to me that, like, that that's you, we are Israel. And I was like, wow, did, wow, I'm in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is, the, I'm in the Bible. Yes. And um, when I got that, that every word was legally binding, that mm-hmm. it was all the word of God, yeah. that it was literally the word of God. Hallelujah. And I was in a fallen state and he, he'd given me his word to to tr- to travel through this 3D construct and live and experience him and that was the way back to the garden i knew it and everything made sense and then i began to see all the evil in the world the illuminati the masons that everything from the pedophile rings to the bloodlines that run the show i knew wow the whole world's given unto the hand of the wicked mm-hmm. that satan and all the kingdoms of the world for all time are his sorry since since the beginning are his to give and hit it's, it's other under his authority and that you know this fallen world was being controlled by satan and everything made sense and then the torah and the law was 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 so captivating for me because i was a man of lawlessness and i'd read a lot about satanism and satanism is all about inf- enforcing your own will and having your will above someone else's will and that you are God and that you can do what thou wilt. And and the more I spent time with these men who were, who were holy, I began to say to myself, I remember this day, my flesh really said, like, I said to myself, I can't keep hanging around with these men because I'm going to change. 
Mm. I'm going to change because I found when I was in the presence, I was just being different and I was I was trying to tame the flesh and I thought if I keep answering the phone to these men and if I keep hanging around with them, something's going to change. And I, I, I was fearful of it. Mm. I was fearful of it and mm. I just pursued and the Lord just began to to reveal himself to me every day. And I, the demons that had engulfed me began to become quiet. The serpents that had entangled me began to, to fall off and I felt the darkness lift and step into the true light. And I ran to the light, Darren, like, like a kid living in a nightmare. I was in a night terror. You know, I was in a night terror. I had no one. And it was dark and I, I run to this light. Hallelujah. And I jumped head first into it. Hallelujah. And I just, I'll never, I'll never abandon it because I've been, Jesus. I've been saved by, by him. And he rescued me, man. And I'm indebted to him. It's reasonable service. Hallelujah. And I delight to do his will. You know, Psalm 119 verse 9 says, how can a young man cleanse his ways to commit himself unto the Lord? That's how you do it. And that's how a young man like me cleansed his way by committing himself to his Torah, to his law. You're not, you're not so young now, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I love again. It, it is the you've encapsulated the full, as you referred to it before, the the aftercare package. We've got our glorious gospel that Messiah came as a man and he died for our sins. He rose from the grave after three days and he ascended to the Father. We have redemption through Yeshua Messiah. But we also have his beautiful scripture: "If you love me, keep my commandments." What are his commandments? This is mit. Where are his mitzvot? It's in his Torah. It's in the fullness of the scroll. So I love how we uh, we touched on that that fullness. Now, what's interesting is that um, you know prior to to this show, I had um, I had uh, a question about how how do we. Um, what, what uh, encouragement or recommendations would you have for those in Messiah who are fighting off the old man and the old way? And after what we've been discussing, I don't know if that's necessarily the right question. My heart is for those that uh, could listen to this and could watch this who aren't saved, who are in prison, who are in bondage, who are struggling, but are, are, are searching for that, uh, searching for that thing that has been missing their whole lives. What um, words? What advice what encouragement would you have for those who don't have who don't know god they don't know jesus and they're just they're in the last chance saloon they're they're desperate they want to know the truth or or, or, or they're just reaching out they're crying out what would your words be for those guys oh that's that's once again Dan. that's um it's a wonderful question um i think of the the words of paul when he said Life is like a race, and uh, those that um, complete the race will be rewarded if you abide by the rules. <laughs> now, I think we know that the rules are the Bible. It's the book of rules, and the book of rules is the Torah. That's the law. But when we run a race, sometimes you might trip, sometimes you might fall, sometimes you stumble. There's no shame in falling down. The shame is in not getting back up. None of us are perfect. Joe touched on it earlier about uh, King David, Abraham, Moses. 
they all stumbled at one point or another. There's only our Lord and Saviour, Yeshua Hamashiach, that's perfect, that never stumbled, completed the race perfectly and was rewarded. But we as mere men, mere mortals, we will stumble, we will fall, and we will trip over certain fences. The key is to always get back up, to get back up. And personally, from my own experiences, there's been times where I've slipped badly, and I thought, oh, and I, I'm just gonna. I tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just hide from our Lord, <laughs> pretend uh, he doesn't know, and when my emotions have recovered, I'll come back to the Lord. And then there became a time when I realised, thought, no, that's not the way. So my advice is, when you stumble, when you slip. When you trip or when you fall, you run to our Lord. You come as you are and you confess and you repent and ask for his forgiveness and ask for his guidance, ask for his direction. It's us that turn away from him. He never turns away from us. Reach out and his hand will be there catch hold of his hand and go again never give up always get back up and go again mm. that's that's what i'd say can i just add to that as well of course brother. we all suffer with the fallen adam syndrome you know when we when we've sinned we run we hide we duck and dive in the nettle bushes yeah it's the fallen adam syndrome yeah the lord's walking around saying where are you adam he knew exactly where he was he was saying where are you up to adam and that's what the lord says he calls and says where are you where are you in this you know where are you and he's saying where are you because he's calling to the inner man he's not calling to the flesh he's calling to the inner man to be aroused and go i need to get back to god and we can all have that fallen adam syndrome where we just hide but we want to get back to him as soon as possible because his grace is just unstoppable his love is overwhelming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And his grace is favor, mercy, bounty, blessing when we are not deserving of it. And I was not deserving of it. I know I wasn't. Me neither. And when you negotiate that and, that and that becomes a true thing in your life, you have fully comprehended his grace. I don't I don't even know whether I have fully comprehended it to be fair. Mm. But to comprehend it more and more is, is because I was such a wretch, because I was such a sinner, because I was so vile. And he, ha- and he has poured that out for us, that I've, I've really got to experience an attribute of his character. And because he's given me that grace, that's why I do believe that we ought to walk as he walked and, and keep his commandments. Because we love him, because we fall in love, because he first loved us. So we fall in love with him, and because we love him, therefore we keep his commandments. Yeah. I'm so focused on God's love and God's love is powerful to meditate on. But I want to show God how much I love him. Yes. And he says there's a way that we can do that. If you love me, you, you will keep my, my commandments. commandments. Truly. And his commandments are not burdensome, you know. Beautiful, beautiful Joseph. Well, gents, um, I feel like this, uh, I, I say this quite often, but I, I really do mean it. This could have gone on for a very long time. There's very, there's so many avenues I think we could go down. I'm, I'm, in, really I'm in no rush. <laughs> <laughs> He's settled in now. He's yeah. settled in. Okay, so w- with that, what I'll say is I really appreciate your honesty. I really appreciate your transparency. 
and the idea of the testimony, the idea of, of sharing in these uh, tropes is, is the redemptive characteristic of our father, that he, he renews, he takes what's been uh, broken and he, and he reuse, reuse it for his purposes. He, he takes something that's dirty and he makes it clean. So it, it, it's you've mentioned this before, Tommy, where you said it, the ability to recount your memories, to recount the bad days, but not be associated mm. with that identity is, is massive mm. in, in one sanctification. But that testimony is there, the memories are there, and it's for a good reason. It's mm. so that we can reach yeah. the lost. Uh-huh. Wow. So before we depart... Oh, thank you, Dan, for keeping us on. Before <laughs> we depart, us a little bit no, longer. no, no. <laughs> if there's anything that you're led, anything that you've got on your heart, if there's anything that we've discussed uh, previously, just um, yeah, open forum and, and and fill your boots, basically. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Dan. I, I'd just like to say that um, for anyone that's in, um, when I was in prison, didn't have access to internet. Maybe nowadays people do have. I don't know, but there may be f- people listening now to this podcast. Yeah. who have relatives in prison. And I'd I, I like to say that prison is just a microcosm of the... It's a, it's a miniature world, prison. It's a microcosm of the world outside. And people in prison are just... All you do when you're in there is you look forward to release, you know? And it's it's the biblical story from we were slaves in Egypt. Exodus, Exodus. It's the exodus. It's it's an exodus within an exodus, you know. We were slaves in Egypt, and we came out. We exited. There was an exodus out of Egypt into in, uh, into our God's kingdom, as God's God's ways, God's path. It's um, basically this world that we live in, the life we live, our our spirit longs to escape from Babylon. And whether you're in a physical prison, i.e. a cell within a wall, within another wall, it's the same as if you're outside a prison, like Joseph touched on earlier. There's prisons that belong outside of a jail. Mm. You know, you may be... Okay, let me put it this way. When I first went to prison... The biggest thing that hit me was I wasn't in control anymore of my own choices. That's right. That's right. Your yeah. freedom's taken away. Your thinking, your choices are taken away. Which can be the same for an addiction. It's horrible. It can be the same um, for any type of sin, Tom. Thank you, bro- thank you, brother. So life itself can bring forth its own prisons in your life, but it's inflicted from mm. outside into you from another person or from within yourself, What you've d- the choices you've made. Yep. There's all types of prisons. And the fact is, I think back to um, the book of Acts with Paul and Silas. Um, it relates remotely to myself and my own experience when I used to go to the chapel and sing praises and hymns, etc., to our Lord and pray. Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to our Father, and suddenly they were out of prison. Mm. Now, I was physically in prison, but my spirit wasn't. My spirit was outside and my spirit was free, you know. So that can only. This can only come about through the the power, the miraculous healing, and the miraculous love and mercy of our Lord and God and Saviour Yeshua Hamashiach. That's the only way it can be done. And it's always there, and He will send His messengers. Um, 
Have you got that scripture? Sometimes, sometimes we. Uh, I have actually put it. It's a, it, Acts fifteen. Is it Acts fifteen? Acts sixteen is when he got it. I think it's Acts sixteen. Do uh, I quote it now? It's Paul and Silas actually. The Apostle Paul. Um, Beautiful man. But at midnight, it's 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 Acts sixteen. It begins at verse twenty five and it goes up to verse thirty four. But at midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, if you're in, in a prison or your family member's in prison, if he's in the chapel, this is what they were doing. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Now, this is what our Father does. In oh, this. so prophetic, isn't it? It's, it's Beautiful. It, this is beautiful. This speaks loud and clear to everybody listening, hopefully. And the keeper of a prisoner, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Now, at this juncture, I, I want to jump in at this juncture before I carry on with this scripture. When I was in prison, um, I was able to witness not only to inmates, but also to prison officers. Mm. Not only to inmates, but also to prison officers. Because prison officers can be there, and like Joe said earlier, they can be a little gang unto themselves, but there's also prison officers, the people like you and I, who also may be lost. All, All they're doing there is a job that pays them a wage, that pays the bills. But they're real people with real problems, and I I witnessed more than on more than one occasion to prison officers, not just to inmates. So I continue. Paul called with a loud voice, saying, "Do yourself no harm, for we are all here." Then he called for the light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he, this is the prison officer, brought them out and said, "Says, what must I do to be saved?" So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. This is under the shelf of household salvation, by the way. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. So you can imagine what Paul and Silas had been through. And immediately he and all his family were baptised now, when he brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. This leads me to another point. Prisons are mainly seen as some kind of a, 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 a sense of retribution. You've done something wrong, we're going to punish you, you won't do it again, or you're going to get this again. Mm-hmm. And really... And it's a modern thing now. It's, I think it's spread from over the, uh, the the other side of the Atlantic to Britain. But in the last 20, maybe 15 years or so, the, the, the thought now is, no, let's not do retribution, let's do restoration. It's restoration. And this is where it tallies in with the scriptures. Because we know from, from the books such as Exodus and Deuteronomy that somebody who was 
fell foul of society, is in need or whatsoever. Restorative justice, isn't it? Restorative justice. You go and save a family, they'll give you your upkeep, they will give you your food, you'll be sustained, etc. And this restores the family unit, which in turn restores the society. And this is what's broken down in the... Um, when someone goes to prison, now we're told in the Bible that true religion is looking after the orphans and the widows. Now, when you're in prison, many people do become orphans because their family is broken up. Mm. Spouses leave them. Spouses go begin to another life somewhere else. Some of the parents are ashamed that they the son or the daughter is in prison, etc., etc. But Torah shows us in the scriptures that if someone is in need, you take them in, you sustain them, you give them pride, you give them purpose, etc., etc. So anyone who's in prison, there's always hope. There's people there always that are longing to 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 provide people that always that come in the name of the Lord Jesus to be there for you mm. and, and bring you Jesus in their from their lives into your lives thank you bro and just to add to that I'd just like to uh, express the spiritual prison because I know that you focused on the physical one there Tom which is beautiful thank you brother for bringing that scripture there in the book of Acts you know singing prayers and hymns can truly deliver us out of a spiritual prison you know, I've seen people with addictions just drop off them when they lift their arms and hands onto the Lord and sing a sweet song and a sweet melody onto him because it's angelic and it's heavenly. And it's what the Shemaim and the and the, and the, the, the Melech do in the Shemaim. So you then fall into that priestly role. And then when you perform in priestly duties, the Lord will make you who you are as you perform in his household, in his tabernacle. So for them that are in a spiritual prison, because we've all been there. Sin is a spiritual prison, whether it be lusts, porn, gambling, whatever. You know, it's changing your behavior. You have no control over it. It's making you a slave. You are institutionalized by it and you are behind bars and it can be a prison with no bars. Mm. Sin is a prison with no bars. Yes, yes. You know, you are captive in Egypt and this was another reason why the Torah was so powerful because it's coming out of Egypt and being sent into a wilderness of trial to be refined and tried and tested and changed and transformed. It's one thing being delivered, staying delivered is another thing. Returning back to Egypt is another thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you have spiritual issues that are keeping you captive, he comes to set the captives free. He comes to give sight to the blind. He is our exodus. He is our key out of prison. Hallelujah. He is He is the door. Hallelujah. And he shuts and no man can open and he open and no man can shut. Amen. So <laughs> finally, let me just say that if you're in a spiritual prison, he is our deliverance. He is the, the, the keeper. He, he's built the prison. He's, let, he's allowed it to be made. And he, he possesses all the keys and he is the one that can break shackles, that he can bend prison bars and make it just disappear right before your eyes. But when he does that and he pays the price, when you're standing in the court and in the dock and he puts his blood there for you and, you, and you've been paid for and ransomed, you walk out of that court and you say, I'm not going to break that law ever again because what that cost my saviour 
You know, I could have been in prison. I could have been in Tartarus till every penny was paid. I could have been in prison till every penny was paid. I haven't got that that wealth to pay that, and he's paid it with his blood. I'm going to walk out of this prison, and I am never going to do that again. And that is the beauty of keeping the Torah and the law. Can I just um, second what you just said there, brother? Yeah, sure, brother. Yeshua opens the door that no man can shut. Hallelujah. And when you're in the prison, you want to open that door and get out, and no one will shut it after you in Yeshua's name. Yeshua's name. So, yeah, thank you, Darren, for letting us in there. Um, for them that need that, we're here. Reach out to us. We can give you strategies. You know, there's 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 a ministry here that is out to set the captives free, and um, we have people that will pray, fast, lay hands. We'll give you strategies, skirmishes, <laughs> battle plans. We'll set things up. It can be done. Fasting, another great way to to take yourself out of a prison. Because the flesh is a prison. Um, so we're going to deal with it from now till the end. But praise be the Lord that he has given us methods and means to overcome. Hallelujah. And we shall be overcomers. Thank you for your law, Father God. Thank you for your Torah, your Hallelujah. teaching instruction. Yeshua. Because as it says, it is a law of liberty, as James says. Yeshua. Yeshua. Powerful. I don't need to add anything onto that. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It's been a privilege. It's a privilege to call you brother. Mm. Um, both in this world and, and in the next. Likewise, brother. Likewise, brother. And I know you're going to ask one of us to pray, but I'd like you to pray tonight that if you would do us the privilege and and, and pray for all of us. Um, Hallelujah. That would be a blessing for us, brother. Thank but, you so much. And before much. I do, again, thank you so much for joining us here at the Opera Room. We bid you shalom. Shalom. Share, subscribe, shalom, like, shalom. not for the algorithm, not for the numbers, but so it can reach those that need to hear the good news, that hear, mm. need to hear uh, uh, the good news of Yeshua Messiah. So, Amen. Um, Amen. From our house to yours, shalom, 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 shalom. shalom. <sighs> Abba Father, thank you. We thank you for your, your, outstretched redeeming hand that took us out of the bondage of sin out of the bondage of slavery that is that is sin that is death that is this world father so many of us we we grow up and we know that we don't belong here that something isn't right we know that deep down the difference between right and wrong but yet we still we're still pulled towards the wrong we still have to taste the, the bitterness of, of the, 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 the ways of this world to experience the, the depravity and the depths of, of hell on earth. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Oh, despite our transgressions, despite our, our best efforts to, to go to where we deserve, Lord, you said no. You said no. These, these, these ones are mine. Father, thank you so much for pulling me and my brothers out of the depths. Yeshua. Hallelujah. We thank you for those prisons. We thank you for showing us what prison is. We thank you for showing us the the, the boundaries. And thank you for, for releasing us from, from those boundaries, Lord. Father God, I, I just I thank you for freedom that you came to set the captives free and we have the freedom 
in you, the freedom in Christ, the freedom to, to call you father, the freedom to call you friend, the freedom to say that there is hope, the freedom to say that there is a kingdom, that there is a, a heaven, that your heaven will be established here on earth. And thank you for choosing us to be instruments in that process, Lord, in that beautiful, beautiful redemption, that beautiful, beautiful story of your return to take your bride. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for illuminating your word that we can see our errors, that we can see our transgressions. But there is a saviour, that there is hope, that there is redemption through your son. So, Father God, we thank you. We give you all the glory. I pray and I hope that this reaches the, the, the ears of those that need it, that, that need to hear the gospel, that Amen. need to Amen. hear the Amen. good news. Hallelujah. So, Father, I just pray that you continue to use us mightily for your kingdom, Lord. Continue to use us for your purposes. Lord, continue to strip back the old man, to take us away from the old man. It says that in your word, uh, a, a righteous man will, will, will fall seven times and will be lifted up seven times. And that's by your grace and by your mercy. So I, I pray that any of you out there in Messiah who have fallen, that have, have fallen short inevitably, pick yourself back up persevere and fight the good fight so father i thank you for i thank you for your word i thank you for your spirit i thank you for your son we give you all the praise and glory in yeshua's name release release, release. Hallelujah. 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 hallelujah amen